You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online, and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. Hope you're well. The interview subject prepared for your listening pleasure today is Gabba Wright. He's a Sydney-based musician, and he has a brand new album out for 2019 called After Hours. So let's have a listen to what he has to say. Here we go. Uh, hey, mate. Andrew Mackay-Smith calling for a chat. How are you going? Hi, uh, good, thanks. How are you, mate? Good man, yeah, good, yeah. A bit of my, my night of interviews. Your second cab off the rank, so it's uh, good to talk to you. I've certainly enjoyed after hours, that's for sure. Yeah, thanks so much, and thanks again for having me as well. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's all good, mate. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, you know, I've, I've had a good listen to it. I've got to say because I've had it. Pre- oh god, it must be a couple of weeks now. It feels like I've had it for a couple of months, but that's not the case. I think I've just listened to it a lot. So, and and look, here's. Here's what I think, okay? So tell me if you think I'm on point or not, and correct me if you feel you need to, but obviously it's synthlated. But what I like about it, it's it's bass-driven hard pop with plenty of nods to the best parts of music from the 80s. So there's a sound there that's similar to The Killers, really. Does that sound about right? Yeah, definitely, definitely, I'd say. I'd say one of the biggest inspirations in terms of bands would probably be like The Killers type of, type of soundscape. Sweet, yeah, and I, and I couldn't help but notice too, mate. You're a uh, you're or well, you have been a student at the conservatorium, so you actually know what you're doing. You know your way around a fretboard and around some keyboards there. So this is yeah. uh, <laughs> is this is this are you a bit unique in so far as a lot of the people at the con? I know they go in and do people do graduate and go and perform and play contemporary music, but is what you're doing is it very different to what every, a lot of your graduating class was doing? Um, I do like a degree that sort of centered around. Uh sort of composition and sort of technical based stuff like sound recording, producing, running music for ads and whatnot. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'd say like potentially a bit different in regards to the class that I'm currently in, but um, there's also a contemporary degree, which I think is quite new as well at the con. But there's, yeah, there's quite a lot of people in that doing stuff, you know, pursuing their own careers and everything independently and whatnot. But yeah, besides that, I'd say potentially. Mm. What got you into doing what you're doing here? Um, I think mainly just sort of growing up in a household centered around music, um, getting exposed to like a really wide array of different, uh, I guess, influences and things that, you know, really inspired me to keep writing music, learning different instruments and stuff. And then realizing one day that I could just combine all that and, and sort of work on my own, my own stuff. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, is your vocal, not so much the tone, but the way you, you deliver the lyric, it reminds me of uh, Brian Cannon from Pseudo Echo, so please take that as a compliment, because I think he's an extraordinary okay, cool. artist. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a chance, I'll check him out, I've not heard of him before, but no, definitely, cheers. Yeah, Pseudo Echo, uh, when I was a kid, so I'm 41, but in the 80s, I don't know whether there was a bigger band in Australia from the perspective of pop music, and they're still around, man, they're still around and kicking, and they still sound fantastic, so just check out the uh, check out the YouTube clips, and I think you'll know what I mean, I mean, they're definitely more... Um, more more focused on the pop side of things than what you are in so far as they're not using traditional instrumentation a lot of the time like what you are. But there's a lot of similarities yeah. there. 100%. No, I'll definitely check them out. Yeah, I've never heard of them. Yeah. So did you did you record everything yourself on the album? Um, yeah. So the majority of the um, album was recorded by, I suppose, I suppose by me and also the guy who was helping out with the production of it and like the mixing, okay. uh, Daniel Nassoli from A-Sharp Studios. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I I covered all like obviously like the vocals and the backing of Ox and 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 um the, all the keyboard based stuff and the piano, and he was on the other side helping out with like guitar, bass, and everything. So it sort of came together in a nice 
collab in the end. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, I was going to ask you a question about Daniel because he's mixed a ton of artists that have been distributed by Firestarters. So how did did you just effectively look him up or did you get a reference to go and work with him or how did, how did that relationship come about? Yeah, I was sort of looking uh, come the sort of dawn of me wanting to re- write an album and get it produced. And I was looking up different, you know, good, but also I suppose <laughs> relatively more affordable uh just you know studios and stuff in sydney and also one where i could get the help from like a from someone in charge like you know who who knows what they're doing in terms of like the mixing side um be it daniel in this case um yeah and i sort of just found him and went for a went for a sort of like couple of sessions where we just sort of sussed over what we'd be doing and the tracks and everything and then we sort of agreed that it would be really cool and yeah that was sort of how it all started i guess so you mentioned that he actually did some of the instrumentation as well and uh i know that can be a bit of a tough thing to trust somebody else to do that when you're you're uh you're you're, you're putting something like this together but did you just tell him look this is what i need this is how i want it to sound or did you just give him a bit of creative license as well yeah well for, yeah for most of the for most of the sort of guitar parts that he ended up tracking it was more a case of me writing out the chord charts or the notation um of like the parts of the songs for example like guitar solos or, or chord progressions and stuff and i guess that's where also like the conservatorium uh teachings come into handy because i i was able to like you know, rustle that up and give it to him and stuff and that really helped with the process of him knowing exactly what it was that i was very keen for and exactly how he would sort of um perform that gotcha yeah and and when you were crafting the songs did you think that they turn out the way that they did or was it a bit of an evolution in the studio for you I'd say definitely an evolution. Like, it was really cool. I mean, just the whole concept of starting out on, you know, virtual synth instruments and, and running at home in your bedroom on, like, a MIDI keyboard and then yeah. actually getting into the studio and getting, like, genuine guitars and, and then drums and all that sort of stuff that then come together. It's such an awesome experience because it's just, like, it's almost as if what you write in your bedroom is sort of the, the roots as to what then is... A tree, you know, it's what later yeah. is, like a tree is built on when all the sounds come together and it all becomes just like so much more real, you know? Yeah, it, it does. You're not wrong. Um, it can be quite scary at times too, can't it? Because you've put all this energy and effort into writing things usually late at night and by yourself and you're sort of considering different ideas and directions to take things. But then at the studio, it's, you know, it, shit's real, isn't it? You're there, you're paying for it. You've basically got to come up with a product. So <laughs> so did we? you're obviously pretty happy with the results though i take it i mean this is yeah a, definitely this is yeah. a pretty good statement of intent i think moving forward for you 100 percent. yeah there was definitely some moments like when in the studio for example as i was saying about how like i would start originally with you know just virtual synth instruments on my computer hmm. it's so easy to get caught up in how you know when you play something it instantly sounds like pretty good and you can quantize it get it in time get it in rhythm yeah. whatever and you get in the studio and you're sort of like you you start off with these sort of raw recordings from, you know, guitars or whatever it may be that then later on end up sounding just like, you know, bloody beautiful. But I mean, when you start with it, it's sort of more on the raw side. And I was so used to that at that point from by just hearing these sort of slightly digitalized, perfected versions of what I would have preferred to be real. Mm-hmm. But like, I'd sort of been like, oh, that, that single semi-quavers at a time and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> but then when it actually came to it, it was just like, it was sweet. You know what I mean? Like there's so much sort of post-production that goes into making like a full album. And like by the time it was mixed and that whole journey, it was, it was so rewarding, I guess. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you can tell all the energy and effort you've put into it, mate, because it's got a killer sound. And I think uh, the mastering by Richard Lake is is truly on point. So tell me about Richard. Did you did you select him, or was that something that came up in discussions with Daniel? Yeah, it kind of came up in discussion because he he sort of I think manages and, and owns A Sharp Studios. Okay. And yeah. um, he was yeah, so he was sort of the first choice to go to in terms of like he knew all the gear. He was familiar with all the stuff that Daniel had been working on, who I suppose like, you know, works very closely with him in some cases. So it was sort of like an easier way to get the best sounds because, you know, it just eliminated all the re explanation of everything that had to go on. But definitely, yeah. So I was I was really, really happy with his with his output. Did you give him any instructions specifically or was it just a case of just make it sound as polished as possible? Because one of the key things that uh, about the end result here is you can really hear all the instruments crystal clear which is bloody hard to do and i talk about it a lot on the podcast series because i get sent hundreds of new releases singles eps albums every year and if there's one thing that i i think is a deal breaker it's bad production these days and mastering these days in 2019 Mm. and 20 and beyond so is that that was obviously very i mean you can't polish a turd from the perspective if this has not been recorded correctly and mix correctly, which Daniel's done a great job on. You really can't get the mastering right. But you you must have. Were you shooting for it to be as clear as what it is, or was was it a uh, was it a surprise to you that it was as crystal clear as what it is, man? Because it's it's all there. You can hear everything. You can isolate all of the instrumentation. Yeah, definitely. I think that was. I was incredibly like impressed. I mean, obviously, I don't know like much as any of these people. But I was very impressed with how it ended up, just because like a lot of the original instrumentations and, and the parts that I went to A-Sharp Studios with hmm. were, so, um, were so dense. I mean, if you look at the, the title track, like After Hours, all this talk, yeah. it's um, by, by the time you get to the last chorus, there's like an entire like stadium crowd box like sort of counter melody going on over the top of um, a hook, which you know plays in the choruses and the hook of the song, underneath the actual vocal melody at the same time. Yeah. So it's, it's like some very dense, very dense um, orchestration. And that was partly on my end, like just like, you know, writing stuff with a few too much, like, you know, a bit more massive intentions mm. in mind than I probably should have had. <laughs> but I think by, yeah, by, through the whole process of mixing, I was like, I was just stoked that all the individual parts that I was originally hoping that could be heard were being able to be heard, like you said, you know, that, that was a mm. really cool, yeah, really cool thing to happen, I guess. Look, typically I'll talk to an indie artist about getting played on Triple J, but I actually think your stuff's strong enough to get played on B105 or Today FM. Have you have you put any feelers out there to see if that's possible? Yeah, I've, I've, I've so far looked a bit of like Triple J because a lot of you know a lot of how indie artists can get out there, I suppose, is, is Triple J, as you said. But I'll be I'll be really keen to just get my music played anywhere and everywhere that I can. So that's that's a really good suggestion. There, thank you. I'll, I'll definitely have a like a more proper look at getting it on some different radio stations. Yeah, I think so, man. I think definitely do it. Uh, it's you've got there's enough grit there for it to appeal to genuine and real music fans, if you know what I'm saying. People like me, but at the same yeah, time, there's a, there's there's enough um, pop sheen across this that it can be acceptable to people driving in their BMWs to whatever shitty job they've got playing in the background. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, no, definitely. Cheers. That's what I was kind of trying to get. To be honest, like with the with the songs in general, like I was trying to have that exact sort of duality between, I suppose, something that people can relate to and sort of get on a more popular level, and also something slightly more, I guess, like I don't want to say alternative, but you know what I mean. Like in terms of like, yeah, yeah. there was that extra level of interest in each song that provided slightly more outside the, um, you know, more more contempt like popular contemporary um, realm, I guess. Hmm. 
The other thing too, mate, is, and I know people probably don't pay much attention or care too much about album cover artwork these days, but you've done really well with yours here. Again, um, tell me about the concept. I was, I'm really curious to understand exactly what your intention is behind the, the album cover art. Yeah, so it's cool. I was, I sort of like, as soon as I sort of came to the realization that I wanted this whole album to be set to the tone of after hours and things that happen after hours or thoughts that you may have after hours and all that sort of mm. stuff. I, um, um, one of my friends told me about how like that whole long exposure um, effect on, on cameras can get this really cool, like sort of blurred effect. And I thought, you know, it'd be cool if I could get something that almost could capture like when you, when you walk into town or something and you see like all the lights in front of you and it's sort Sweet, of like that yeah. whole neon haze type vibe, you know? So I was like, got in con- contact with a friend, Luca Ward, who was a really cool photographer. And, um, yeah, he, he worked for a while. It's getting like, there were like a bunch of different things thrown out. Cause obviously it's pretty sort of, um, and like sort of vague in terms of subjects. And it's pretty ambiguous. Um, and yeah, I guess sort of getting that right duality between ambiguous, but also could mean whatever people put meaning into it as, and yeah, so I mean, we kind of ended up with that. And I was really happy with the final project, like the final piece, definitely. Yeah, it's something that I think Radiohead would love to use for their music. That's what it reminded yeah, me of straight away. <laughs> but I, yeah, I got I'm, it. I'll tell you what, mate. I've actually got to be honest and say that I think I really, I, I prefer the, uh, I understand your concept and it's great what you've done there with the album, but the artwork that you were, went with for World Gone Mad, man, that's killer. I love that concept. Can you can you tell me about that? Cheers, yeah. Um, that was, yeah, that was like, actually, to be honest, like a simpler process. It was sort of a case of me thinking, oh, what's the song about? I was thinking, oh, the, the meaning's probably around sort of all this negativity that's being thrown out in, um, you know, on social media oh, and in the God, news yeah. and everything and yeah. just how the, the, the general populace has to just stay positive in the face of that in order to keep, keep going on, essentially. Mm. So I was like, yeah, okay, world gone mad. Let's get something like a symbol of purity or a symbol of sort of like hope or whatever, love, whatever, which I was thinking like a rose. That's kind of like the first thing that came to mind. And then I was thinking about how, as is with the human psyche, it was a bit like <laughs> getting a bit all psychological and everything, but yes, as with cool. sort of like... Yeah, the, yeah, thinking about things that are sort of can be degrad- like bad in terms of negatively affecting that and, and degradatory and all that stuff. And I thought, okay, you know, like a cigarette lighter, that could, inter- that could be, you know, fires or it could be smoking or it could be, you know, whatever it may have um, connotations to be. Um, and like a beer bottle, dripping liquid, that could be, you know, whatever it may be. And I was just thinking of yeah, those things, I suppose, like the most generic in terms of instantly effectual thinking about things that can bring down that purity mm. and so uh, yeah that combination together is kind of just like that symbol of keeping on keeping on i guess and all the things just around that bubble that can negatively affect that but yeah so that was kind of like the idea behind that cover yeah so just for the listener's perspective i'll explain what's going on with this cover so you've got a rose in front of uh, a body of water let's just say the ocean and two people with cigarette lighters are lighting the rose leaves and then at the same time, you've got this, what looks like a champagne bottle or a beer bottle. Tipping, yeah, tipping uh, product into it. Yeah. 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 Um, so there you go. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely unique, man. It actually, um, I, I'd, I'd really encourage you to use that for merch, actually. Cheers, definitely. I've been really keen to get some more merch happening. So that's, thank you. That's a really good idea, actually. Yeah. Hey, uh, I reckon, and I'm definitely right because I went and checked this the other day, but I interview artists from all over the world, but in Australia, I've interviewed far less artists from Sydney than anywhere else in the country. Now, I know there's a scene down there, but 
I just, yeah, it's such a tough place to live, yet alone bloody make music. But in terms mm. of the scene, music scene itself, it's just still very, you know, fractured, divided. People in Sutherland area stay down there and people in the North Shore stay in the North Shore. You know what I mean? Like, people aren't sort of going. Yeah. Is it still like that? Oh, it's like a hard one. Like, I know everyone gives, gives shit to the music scene in Sydney, but to be honest... I have to agree. <laughs> I think a lot of mm. a lot of what's happened, you know, recently, especially with like the lockout laws and things like that, have, as you said, just sort of blown up what had been previously established in like the last sort of thirty, forty years. Um, you know, a lot of really cool, um, like venues and things that shut down because of uh, like you know lack of funding or, or not being able to get enough money to actually stay afloat. Um, so it's sort of like in this lull right now. Um, I think the one thing that is getting better, though, is that, as you said, people from sort of regional areas are coming down more to Sydney. People from Sydney are doing more regional shows. And, yep. and I, I don't know if you heard, like, probably lockout laws are getting abolished in January. So I heard, um, So yeah. I think that it's, yeah, I think it's definitely going to make a big change. Like, already a lot of talk has been going on about, you know, getting getting all these venues back and running, getting some more, you know, cheaper middle, middle ground type live venue spaces there. Because um, I mean, from my experience, even just starting gigging in Sydney, there's there's some insane bands out there in Sydney. There's some great talents and mm. great singer songwriters, whatever whatever genre as well. It's just the only difference is, I suppose, between something like Sydney and Melbourne, is that whereas in Melbourne you have that whole sort of middle tier of of venues where artists who are established but just not you know relatively popular yet can book out and get people to come to. In Sydney, it's kind of like, you know, you have a couple of small venues and then you move up to maybe like Enmore Theatre and then you move up to like, you know, stadiums. So there's mm. no sort of like middle ground. But I think that's definitely and slowly changing, which is really cool. It's really exciting, I guess. Yeah, you just confirmed something that I'd long suspected, which is that there are a ton of artists doing their thing in Sydney. They're just, there's just not the venues. There's just not the spaces for them to play. Yeah, and if, if there were the spaces and the places for them to play, see in Brizzy here, we've got Brisbane here, we've got the uh, Valley, and every night of the week you can go and see a killer band. Really, you can just stumble into yeah. a venue and watch it, and then you can go and have dinner and trundle home, you know, or go and drink if you yeah. want to keep on drinking, kicking Definitely. on. But Sydney's not yeah. like that, is it? I mean, a lot of I was explaining, I was saying in my podcast beforehand that uh, the interview beforehand that that most of my audience is actually overseas. So I try to give them a bit of an insight as, as to the Australian scene and culture, if you like. And mm. Sydney, Sydney is the one city just about everybody in the world could name is an Australian city. But it's the one scene... I think it spawned Australia's best bands, in my view, ACDC, In Excess, Midnight yeah, Oil. You know, I mean, uh, Cold Chisel really made their mark there. I know they're an Adelaide band, but they really became a band and took... And, and the icons that they are in Sydney... Um, Definitely, but it just—it's—it's it's definitely a tough town to get there. There's six, almost six million people, or something. That's the thing that I don't think people realise either: is how many bloody people there are in Sydney. But you know, people are still people, in so far as they want to make music and they want to create. But if there's not the venues and the outlets for them to do so, there's no there's no valley in there's no Fortitude Valley in Sydney. It used to be the cross, yeah. but it was also a really rough spot too. I used to go out in the cross myself. Never had any dramas there, but you could sense there was that edge there. I think a lot of people don't, you know, suburbanites, if you like, don't really want to expose themselves to that a lot of the time. So suburban venues are the way to go, man, and these bloody lockout laws and, and also a few good ones in the, in Sydney City. I know there's Frankie's Pizza there and I flew down for a gig at yeah, Cro Crowbar. Yeah, they're there. They're, exactly, that's the thing. Like, they're there. It's just, I suppose, it's like getting it more 
publicized and, and getting it out there that they are venues there. Like people come out to them, but I, as I said, sort of with the whole, you know, lots of bands, not enough venues. If I feel like there were a few more venues that were affordable, that were like to the middle, like, you know, maybe two to 500 people, then there'd be a lot more gigs just happening in Sydney. And I, I'm not optimistic. I reckon like with these lockout law abolishments, like it'll be sweet. Hmm. The only other issue in Sydney is the price of real estate and renting. Meaning that, that yeah. that's the big barrier there. It's, not, it's nowhere near as expensive up here and probably the same in Melbourne. But I think that's going to be the big barrier to entry. That's going to be the new obstacle moving forward is because of the yeah, property price in Sydney are just insane, right, for what you get. There's no value for money. But if you want to set up a venue and look, 500, 500 people, that's, God, how big is that? I don't know how many squares that's going to be, but it's quite a lot. No, exactly. And you sort of that's think, a good God, point. where would they put it? You know, and that's, um, yeah, but are, are you, are you whereabouts are you, with, without naming the suburb, are you north side or south side? Whereabouts are you in Sydney? Yeah, I'm kind of like sort of inner city towards, I guess, like around sort of star star city, to be honest. Oh, sort shit. Of like not yeah. that far. Yeah. So city. Yeah, that's right the one thing city. I was going to mention is there's, so it's just kind of whack because, you know, as you said with the cross, everyone was like, oh, we'll, we'll make the lockout laws, it'll abolish all crime in the cross. But of course, uh, star city is the only place right now that's completely 24 hours, for, yeah. you know, obvious reasons. Yeah. And uh, it's almost like just pushed all the crime over there, I feel. I think... Like, right. Yeah, a lot of the thing with the lockout laws is people would sort of just get kicked out of venues and be just roaming around um, with, you know, with not, nowhere to go, whatever. Like the public transport wasn't necessarily working to their area. And that's, I think, a lot of the reason why quite a lot of fights and the whole thing with, with, the, with the coward punch and all, all that incident, all those incidents were kind of popping up. Hmm. Um, but yeah, a lot of it just sort of seems to just move over to the start. So I think at least by getting rid of these lockout laws, even if it's even if it's completely out of the sphere of talking about venues and, and, and you know, possibilities for bands getting into these venues, I think it's actually gonna slightly help that local like sort of centralization of the violence. Because if people yeah, people are just dispersed around and it's gonna be a lot less worse than they all just leaving the star, you know, getting a bad 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 return yeah. on their twenty dollar bets or something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. And I think the lockout laws were a massive... I, I, I definitely feel for the family who lost... You know, they lost their son to uh, to an act of violence, a coward punch, but then oh, their, course, the brother yeah. killed himself, you know, in despair over what happened. But I, yeah. I, I, I totally feel for the family. Believe me, I do. But I think the whole thing was an overreaction from the perspective that they blamed King's Cross for it as opposed to blamed this fuckwit. And the way he was probably yeah. brought up, you know, it has nothing to do with Sydney itself as a city. It's this no, dick, I agree. dickhead, you know, who was just, this guy had a history of walking around picking fights. You know, it just, yeah, exactly. it just yeah, so exactly. happened it was in the cross. I mean, if it happened at Penrith, what are they going to do, shut down Penrith? You know, like, I mean, yeah. this is the I mean, thing. I think, yeah, like, I mean, this is a, this is a completely non-related example, but in just like a, 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 of a lot smaller scale, um, like around the area I live, we get these, you know, passes to get free parking outside the streets, right? And mm. so a couple of times, some these random guys, no one knows who, would come around, smash people's windshields yep. and grab the uh, grab these things. And because obviously, you know, free parking in, in a city is, is you know, oh, quite, yeah. you know, everyone wants that. And so as a response, instead of, you know, trying to find out who did it or trying to sort of tell people or make sure you had these things inside, whatever, they just got rid of them. And so now, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's a whole like first world problem type thing. But in, in a sense, I think that's sort of the same type of getting completely getting rid of or changing or, as you said, blaming like a, such a larger um, related 
thing, like like a suburb or like a like a yeah. They make everybody responsible for it, so one person does and then, it, yeah. and we're, we're all responsible. You know, you as a Sydney sider are then responsible for it. Like, how the hell can I stop it? You know, what am I supposed to do? Tell him off if I see him, as if you're going to see him or her who does it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny oh, one. I think I think it's changing now. I think gradually it's changing, and I'm I'm excited for it. Though. Mm. Yeah, well, mate, you, you've got a heck of a of an album here to promote, mate. So that's that's my final question for you: is um, you 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 do have a live band around you, is that right? And you're going to take it on the road and do some gigs? Hundred percent. Yeah, I got this really great these five guys behind me who I met at the um the Med the Con. Wow. And um, yeah. yeah, just just we did our first like main launch for the album last Saturday night. Uh, yeah, and we're just main, I'm I'm going away a bit in January, but definitely when I get back, like mid Feb, I'm super keen with these guys to sort of just take it as far as I can go in terms of this album. We'll get some like prof covers going, you know. We'll, we'll take it, you know, maybe regionally. Um, yeah, and just get out with get it out there as much as can do, I suppose. Yeah, definitely come up here, mate. There's a great scene up here, as I'm sure you're aware. But your your music 100%. would go really well here, uh, especially just talking to you. You've got a great attitude, and people appreciate that, man. You know, they want to know that there's someone that they can relate to up on stage. I think that's the big difference between Brisbane and some of the other cities in Australia is that people actually want to they want to talk to you after the gig. You're not they're not dickheads either. They actually just want to genuine. They're curious, yeah. a bit like I am. You know, just just that I've got a podcast series, so I can ask questions. But I think you'll find that a lot of people up here will be like that. So. Hopefully you come up, mate, and I'll be in the audience when you do. Definitely, man. Cheers. I really appreciate it. Cool, man. Just before I let you go, um, you've you've got this EP uh, album out, sorry, but where can people buy it? If they want to buy physical, mate, can they get in touch with you through Facebook or how can they do that? Definitely. I mean, like in terms of physical, like a CD or anything, I think on Bandcamp, um, I've got the album there, but I think that's got hyperlinks to uh, purchase of a physical CD sale. Yep. Um, and also, I'm, I'm about to put up on like my link tree, which is sort of like the website that hosts all the different hyperlinks to different social medias and whatnot. Um, a direct link to like a uh, um, physical CD purchase, which I'm I'm about to, I'm sort of on the lookout for a, getting a website made, but that's a you know it's a whole other whole other can mm. of worms, I guess. Mm. No, fair enough, mate. Yeah, well, look, uh, this has been a fantastic chat. What I'll do from here, if you're comfortable with everything we've spoken about, I certainly am, I'll just put it up as it is and I'll just t- put it on Facebook and tag you in. How does that sound? Awesome. Yeah, perfect. Cheers, man. Killer, mate. I'll try and try and get it done by tomorrow, mate, so look out for a round. Oh, right. Yeah, just give me a buzz and should be sweet. Sweet. All right, mate. Thanks for the chat. Been a good one. Cheers. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. No worries, mate. Good luck with it. Cheers, mate. Have a good one. You too, man. Catch ya. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online, and my name is Andrew Bakai-Smith. That interview subject was Gabba Wright from Sydney. There you go. Thanks so much for listening.